Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about some creepy urban legends. But first, let's do some paranormal news. Hey! What time is it? It's time for Paranormal News. The first story in Paranormal News the Bermuda Triangle solved? A key clue unravels greatest mystery in aviation history. Okay, so you guys all know what the Bermuda Triangle is. I'm not gonna read that part of the story, but they said due to the number of aircrafts and ships that have disappeared in the area, one of its most famous incidents occurred when five US Navy Grumman TBM Avenger torpedo bombers vanished after losing contact during a training exercise from Naval Air Station in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. All 14 men on the flight were lost, as well as 13 crew members of a Martin PBM Mariner flying boat that subsequently launched from the Naval Air Force Base trying to search for Flight 19. That's right, Flight 19, one of the biggest aviation mysteries in the Bermuda Triangle. Well, they said that it was probably just pilot error. The man in charge of the flight said that they, they suspect that he was flying in the wrong direction. They said that he probably went over Bermuda and then went the wrong way. Even if any of the pilots had managed to survive, they wouldn't have survived for how long it took for them to find them because they were so off course. A few months after the incident, the Navy published a 500-page investigation concluding that Flight 19 had flown over the Bahamas and that Taylor had led the group northeast over the Atlantic, not back to Florida. Now, the other pilots, again, must have known he was making a mistake and likely discussed this with Taylor to try and persuade him to turn again, to turn around the other way. But none of them broke formation, probably due to military discipline. Now, this is a big departure from what a lot of people think, that they crashed somewhere back on the way back to Florida. They got a little lost, something happened, there was a storm. They were on their way back to Florida and they went down. Now, there's a lot of people who think that the planes have already been found, they just haven't been identified. There's known wreckage of planes that could possibly be them, but not in the area that this says it is. The uh, documentary that, that uh, this is all from explains that despite the report, the Navy couldn't explain why Taylor became so disoriented, became so disoriented, or why he didn't want to lead the practice in the first place. It's also unexplained why the other pilots didn't switch to search and rescue frequencies, or why they didn't turn on their receivers. So there's still a lot of stuff that we don't know about these planes until we find Flight 19, we may never know, but they think they found the area where these planes could have gone down. They think with a little bit more investigation, they're going to find these planes under the water. Up next in paranormal news, Loch Ness Monster Discovery on the table as bookies cut odds on finding Nessie this year. 
That's right, betting odds on the discovery of the Loch Ness Monster, not a monster, have been slashed by bookies at Paddy Power after the most compelling proof of Nessie's existence has ever emerged. The sonar images have also inspired bookies at Paddy's Power to slash the odds of Nessie finally seeing the light of day this year from 10 to 1. Oh, this is actually bad for you. Don't, don't bet on it. I'm sorry. Don't bet on them finding it this year because they slashed the odds from 10 to 1 to 4 to 1. After that, that, um, that sonar image and all the evidence emerged, they were like, nope, screw this crap. It's going from 10 to 1 to 4 to 1. So don't, I'm sorry, do not bet that they're going to find Nessie by the end of 2020. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel made bold UFO claim in his final interview. Now, again, I'm talking about that movie, The, the Phenomenon, the one I told you guys to watch, I think it was last week's episode. It's a, you know, it's a great new documentary. I got it on Amazon Prime. It was like $12.99. Anyhow, Lieutenant Colonel Robert Friend said he pointed to the sudden closure of Project Blue Book in 1969 and said, which would suggest what? This sudden closure of Project Blue Book all of, you know, out of nowhere? What would that suggest? That they knew what it was. And then the uh, narrator or director said, or didn't know what it was. But nope, Lieutenant Colonel Robert Friend said also the other way that they did know what it was. Basically, he's saying there was no other need for Project Blue Book. They figured it out. They knew what these UFOs were, where these UFOs come from, and that they were extraterrestrial. We had concluded everything that Project Blue Book was ever open to try and figure out. It is very telling. And again, these guys are getting up there to the point where hopefully all of them will start to come forward and tell us what they've known for decades before it's too late. There's nothing left to lose. What is the, what are the, the government going to put them in prison? They're going to be dead soon. So this is, now's the time. Look, if I don't know why they would be, but if anybody listening to this podcast right now was there at Roswell, or any of these big UFO government uh, meetups at the naval bases or saw the alien bodies, and you're still afraid, you're in your 70s or 80s or whatever, and you're still afraid to tell your story while you're alive, record it. Get on camera, record it yourself, like a last will and testament almost. After you die, they can play it, and the, the word can get out that way. There's nothing that can befall you from doing it. Now is the time to get this on record because sadly, these guys are dropping like flies. Unfortunately, they're dropping like flies and we're losing all these eyewitnesses to some of the most incredible UFO encounters ever. Alrighty, up next, let's keep, let's keep going. I got a bunch of paranormal news. A group of scientists will test an atom destroyer to find a parallel universe. Now this was sent to me by a bunch of people and I love the fact that you guys sent me this news story. Of course I was gonna do it. I love parallel universes. Well, you know CERN and the Large Hadron Collider? Well, they're trying to detect or create a miniature black hole which would give rise to a completely new universe parallel to ours. You know what, fuck it, why not? 2020 is a shit show. It's the worst of the worst. Let's see what happens. Let's get a parallel universe going. Maybe maybe in the parallel universe, the Beatles are still around and they're still performing and there's still music. John Lennon is still with us. 
let's do it. I don't care anymore. Open up parallel universes. You know, a couple years ago, I'd be like, no, let's not, let's not mess with the fabric of the universe. Now, fuck it. Let's mess with the fabric of the universe. It can't get any worse. Screw it. Parallel universes for everybody. I hope they do. I hope they succeed and we get to find out what's going on in parallel universes. And continuing on with the parallel universe, the how a balloon flying over Antarctica made parallel universes tabloid fodder. It says very clearly, no, scientists did not discover evidence for my parallel universe in the Antarctic ice, despite all the news stories that said the contrary. This past May, a balloon flying over Antarctica sparked a worldwide interest in parallel universes. A few years ago, the balloon-based experiment ANITA, which is the Antarctic Impulsive Transient Antenna, detected a couple of subatomic particles behaving in unexpected ways. I actually talked about it on a previous Paranormal News. Since then, scientists have been able to examine the possible explanations. Including a, theor a, including a theoretical proposal involving processes in a universe other than the one that we know, and everybody kind of ran with that story. The hypothesis appeals to the imagination, they say, but it doesn't work that way. The Anita experiment was prepared on Manoa, Hawaii. Its mission was exotic, to catch radio waves coming from neutrinos, a species of very elusive subatomic particles, as they hurl onto Earth from outer space and strike atoms in the ice. The vaguely retro space cluster of radio antennas and solar panels was suspended by a balloon at 37 kilometers above the ground to monitor a large area above Antarctica in four flights between 2006 and 2016. So they collect all the data in 2016 and they say, this is something really strange. We don't know what it is. The Anita anomalies, as they're now called, attracted a curious amount, a cautious amount of attention in the elementary particle physics community, which I am not a member of. They were one of the few, very few findings incompatible with the established theoretical framework, and they went, we don't know what it could possibly be, so here's some theories. And that's when they talked about oh, it's a parallel universe and everything else, and they said no. We think we figured out what it was. It's nothing even remotely cool like that. And the, the uh, explanation is kind of very drawn out, very boring. These issues might be exemplified by the Anita case where overactive imagination saw a far-flung discovery as plausible when it wasn't. The bulk of the relevant, relevant research in string theory and quantum mechanics is purely mathematical and only exists on paper. There is an observational evidence in favor of a theory of inflation, blah, blah, blah. It's, it really goes into science-y. Basically, the, point that I, that the whole point of this story is, no, the balloon flying over Antarctica for Anita, the Antarctic Impulsive Transit Antenna, Transient Antenna, did not find evidence of parallel universes in the neutrinos that hit the ice. So I know it was a long way to go for that one little headline, little tidbit or whatever you want to call it. But since I had talked about it on a previous paranormal news, I wanted to make sure that I gave it, you know, the scientific explanation, the debunk, if you will. I talked about the possibilities. Well, here's the debunk. The people that are in the know, the scientists that are in the know say, nope, isn't happening. All right, let's keep on moving on. Donald says he'll take a strong, good look at whether UFOs exist. That's right. The president was asked about the existence of UFOs during an interview with Maria Barron... 
Ah, it doesn't matter. Of Fox News on Sunday. And he said, yeah, he's heard about the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. He said that he's going to take a very strong, good look at the existence of UFOs. And uh, he seems to be skeptical, but he says, yeah, I'll take a look. I mean, I've heard it. I heard that two days ago, so I'll check on that. I'll take a good, strong look at that. That's about all I want to say about him. Anyhow, so we got the, uh, the president taking a look at UFOs. Next up in paranormal news. Bigfoot to stop into Jefferson for an annual conference. That's right, the Bigfoot capital of Texas will once again be filled with the legend seekers from across the globe as Jefferson is once again the host of the 19th annual Texas Bigfoot Conference. Can't believe it's going on no matter what. They said that this year's conference, it has to be capped at 75% capacity, about 260 guests because of the coronavirus, but they say tickets are still available to the event, including the Friday and Saturday night catered dinner events. Guests to this year event can expect to hear from some of the best presenters of the field of cryptozoology, as well as have opportunities to study captured evidence and learn about hunting tools and skills. They said we have uh, Cliff Barrickman from the North American Bigfoot Center, Lyle Blackburn from Animal Planets Finding Bigfoot, Shelley Covington, Montana, Texas monster hunter Ken Gerhard, and author Leisha, Leisha? Sure, Leisha Fisher. And, uh, the as new this year and so is ed owen from the dallas bigfoot society so despite covid despite the coronavirus you can still buy tickets for the texas bigfoot conference of 2020. all righty let's continue on ghostly haunts abound in and around the akron area here are a few ghost stories from ohio the place known as stan highwit hall and gardens in akron ohio has room for a ghost or two there are some who believe Goodyear co-founder and his wife Gertrude are still looking over the place. So if you live in Ohio, check out the Stan Highwood Hall, the Akron Civic Theater, because they said they've had a ton of strange encounters over the year at the Grand Staircase, in the projection booth, in the basement dressing room, and beneath the stage. One of the spirits is said to be Paul Stieg, who helped the theater open in 1929 and worked there until he died in 1972. Also check out Perkins Stone Mansion. The ghost that reportedly calls this place home is not your typical spirit. They say it's haunted by a cat. So if you want to see a ghost cat and you're in, you're in Ohio or Akron or you can get to Akron, go to Perkins Stone Mansion. Also check out the Hower House. That's also in Akron. A lifeless occupant of the 28-room Victorian mansion is said to be Susan Hower. Um, she was on her deathbed when her husband promised that he would never remarry, a promise he broke just four years later. Ooh, dick move. Then there's the Goodyear hangar in Akron. They said there's tons of spirit workers from long ago. And finally, the Rogue's Hollow. The Rogue's Hollow in Wayne County would be the place to be if you want to see ghosts. Situated on Gale House Road in Chippewa Township, it earned its roguish name from the coal miners who once called the place home in the 1800s. One of its legends, and there are many, include that of a headless horseman and a ghost train, both being spotted on the Crybaby Bridge over Silver Creek. It's said that if you stand on the bridge on a foggy night around midnight under a full moon, you might hear the faint cries of a baby. That's it? The I, who cares about... Who cares about the faint cries of a baby? Um, there's a legend about a buggy driver who lost control while crossing the bridge and a baby fell in the water below and drowned. Another tale says the cry is that of a baby who was thrown from the bridge by its mother who wanted to keep her husband from the child. 
So again, if you're in uh, Akron, Ohio, or you can get to Akron, Ohio, those are the places to go and see. Alrighty, we're almost we're almost wrapping it up real quick. Um, Gainesville Ghosts. If you're in Gainesville, Florida, these are the places you want to go to. The Adam House. It uh, it's haunted by a woman's ghost. Oh, it's a little boy's ghost. Oh, that's kind of creepy. All right, there you go. If you're in um, if you're in Gainesville, Florida, check out the Adams House. There's supposed to be a little boy ghost there. That's kind of creepy. The Hall County Library is also haunted. Uh, this one by a librarian. She uh, made herself known every single time. She would always gravitate towards the window that faced the tiny little parking lot in the front. You don't even have to go in. You can just look at her. They suspect the ghost is that of Teresa Elizabeth Brown, who used to reside on the library's property in the 1800s. And finally, in Gainesville, if you're down there, check out the Gainesville Cotton Mill. It's one of the most iconic historic buildings, but it's also one of the most haunted, apparently. The tornado of 1903 struck the mill and killed an unconfirmed amount of child workers. That seems bad. And they said, guess what you're going to see if you go there? That's right, kid ghosts. A whole lot of kid ghosts. So, if you're in Gainesville, you want to see some ghosts, there's just a few places to go. Is this finally? Is this it? Yes, and finally in paranormal news, one that I added just at the last minute because I thought it was so dumb. There's a website, uh, msn.com, lifestyles, pets and animals, asked a veterinarian, can my ghost see dogs? Nope, that's the wrong way. Yes, can my ghost see dogs? That's what they asked her, which I thought was very odd because that's the opposite of what they actually asked her. They asked her was, can my dog see ghosts? That's a little bit better. That's a little bit more apropos of this uh, podcast. That's right. They went and asked a veterinarian, hey, you random veterinarian. You you must know the answer to this. Can dogs see ghosts? And, um, well, they said there's a lot of reasons. Uh, Dr. Vanessa Spano said there's a lot of reasons why dogs bark. Excitement, seeking attention, possessiveness, fear, pain, cognitive issues. Chances are they're barking at some sort of trigger. We just need to take the time to assess the context of the situation. So she has no idea if dogs can see ghosts. So now someone does need to ask her, can ghosts see dogs? I'm going to guess yes. But um, I thought it was so dumb. Look, I get it. It's, you know, getting to be Halloween. It's getting to be October. You want to have something that kind of catches everybody's attention. But asking some random veterinarian if she thinks that dogs can see ghosts and expecting any kind of answer, any kind of official answer. Like, what if she would have said, yeah, oh, no, they can. Look, I've been working with dogs since I was 19, and I know for a fact that dogs can see ghosts. Your dog especially. That's how she should have asked. She should have answered it just, you know, scare the shit out of people. Anyhow, that about does it for Paranormal News. Let's take a quick break, and we'll head on on to Urban Legends. Alrighty, we are back. That's right. Let's take a look at some of the creepy urban legends around the globe. Are there any truth to them? How many have the same urban legend? How easy is it for me or anybody else to debunk something that's been talked about year after year, mutated so many numerous times, and evolved, especially with the internet? Well, let's find out. Um, the answer to that last one is, it's not very easy at all. It's actually really difficult. Let's start with Alabama. 
and an interesting playground. Now, if you go to Maple Hill, which is in Huntsville, Alabama, it's the oldest cemetery there. It's called Maple Hill Cemetery. It's the oldest cemetery in Huntsville. You're going to see something that was common back in the day, but it's deemed kind of pretty creepy now. And that's a playground in the cemetery. Now, again, I know it sounds weird, but back in the day, playgrounds in cemeteries were a regular thing. In fact, cemeteries used to be the place that people went to for picnics all the time. So why not have a place for the kids to play while you're picnicking or even at a funeral? It was a normal, everyday thing. But, urban legend time, Huntsville, Maple Hill, this particular playground is said to get more ghost kids than real kids nowadays. People say that they hear laughing, giggling, see the swings swinging on their own, see orbs going down the slide. And the urban legend part says, it's the ghosts of the kids who were all murdered in a string of child abductions in the 60s, right there in Huntsville, Alabama. All right, so what's true and what's not true? Well, here's the problem. The playground isn't some ancient playground. It was only built there in 1985, so that part's not true. But the string of kids murdered in the 60s in the area? Well, sadly, that part is all too true. There was a serial killer in the area at that time, and kids did go missing. So there is a grain of truth to this urban legend, but, you know, obviously most of it's bullshit. But this just shows you. Even the one where I was like, there is no chance any of that's real, that a bunch of kids were all murdered and child abductions in the 60s. Nope, that's real. Okay, so hopefully to no one's surprise, this is going to be a pretty common thing on this episode. So let's move on over to the grunge, which I got to say is new to me. This one takes place in Louisiana on Grunch Road. Supposedly, it's located in eastern Louisiana. Now, Grunch Road can't be found on any map. Where it's located changes with every site I looked at. Is it in New Orleans? Is it in the swamps? Is it just north of New Orleans? Is it in Chalmette or something? Other sites say it's in Gentilly or Matier. But the locals changed the name of Grunch Road to try and keep people safe. Many people believe it became Gannon Road of the Little Woods neighborhood right off of Lake Pontchartrain. All right, so already this urban legend is just filled with red flags. You can't even find this street. Every site has a different location, different part of the state. But, and again, I can't even find any maps or historical documents that have Grunch Road on them. And I looked, and I really looked. I really went deep down the Grunch Road, but let's keep going because this one only gets murkier. Okay, so the Grunch is either a devil baby thing formed when Marie Laveau castrated a devil baby when he was born to stop him from reproducing. The bloody balls fell to the floor and turned into a male and female Grunch, of course they did, who once fully formed attacked Marie Laveau. Or He's one of the few remaining inbred clans of albino dwarf people who once made the nearby woods their home after being ostracized by the locals and they were cursed to, um, oh, they were said they were cursed and they lived a recluse life eating goats that wandered into the woods. Because, sure, why not? 
or the Grunch is actually a swamp chupacabra, because of course he is. The swamp chupacabra is said to howl like a wolf, or scream at you like a banshee, or howl like a Sasquatch. It has all the typical chupacabra spikes down the backs and gr glowing red eyes and sucks the blood and organs out through a single hole in the body. But most sites, not all, but most sites agree. Here's the urban legend. You're driving through the woods. You get so lost. You're so turned around that you turn down this gravel and shell covered overgrown road. And while you're driving down this road, instead of, you know, using your GPS to get back home, you start driving down this road and you see a wounded goat. It's right there on the road. Now, I will assume that you've never seen Jurassic Park and don't realize this is a trap. So you get out of your car to tend to the goat's wounds. How do you know how to treat a wounded goat? I'll never know, but you're being a good human. You're trying to help this poor animal. So you get out. Oh, I gotta help save this wounded goat that's just randomly on this no-named no road that nobody knows about that seems to be off in the middle of nowhere and I'm lost. You get out, you help this goat, and the grunge jumps out of the woods and drags you and sadly the goat, back into the woods, and you're never seen again. What happened to your car? No idea. Where is he getting all these goats? Can't say. Why is the road covered in seashells? Ask the Grunch. I know none of these answers, but that's the legend of the Grunch. So, again, if you happen to be somewhere in Louisiana, anywhere in Louisiana, and you happen to turn down a gravel and seashell covered road and you see a wounded goat just slam into it with your car and keep on driving because the grunch is nearby and he's gonna get you all right hi stitch how you doing pal hi buddy all right that's enough grunching for one episode let's move on to arkansas the home of the dog boy now this one actually has an address it's 65 Mulberry Street, Quitman, Arkansas. I looked it up on uh, Zillow. Oh, uh, please don't go there and bother the dog boy. So I looked it up on Zillow. It's a nice cream-colored house built in 1891 with nice light blue toilets. You can check it out for yourself. Go to Zillow. Type in 65 Mulberry Street, Quitman, Air, uh, Quitman Arkansas. That's the house. But the urban legend... It's kind of layered, actually, but the urban legend is that a 300-pound, half-man, half-dog creature lived there and would glare his glowing eyes out the window at people as they walked by. Sometimes he would even burst out of the front door and chase people down the street, biting at their heels. Is there any truth to this one? <laughs> well, yes, shockingly yes, there is a kernel of truth to the home of the dog boy. It all started in 1950 when Floyd and Aline Bettis moved into the house. Now, a lot of sites say the house was already haunted by the original owner who was a World War I um, soldier that, that died. But anyhow, back to the Bettises. So they move into the house, and in 1954, just four short years after they move in, they have a son, and they named him Gerald Floyd Bettis. Spoiler, he didn't look like a dog, but... He's an asshole, <clears throat> but he is an asshole. From a very early age, he tortured neighborhood pets, mostly dogs, 
earning him the nickname Dog Boy. Already I hate this guy. Hate everything about him. But if that wasn't bad enough, when he got older, he turned his terror to his aging parents whom he kept locked in the upstairs part of the house. There are people that actually lived in this neighborhood who actually knew him when they were growing up as well. And they said, yeah, no, that's true. He was six foot four. He was over 300 pounds of asshole. He was mean to his parents. He was mean to pets. We heard howling and whining and crying and yelping all the time coming from the house. There's even a police report of him throwing his then 70 year old father out of the upstairs window when he was just 17 years old. All right, let's get to the happy ending of sorts for the dog boy. He was arrested for growing weed in his house and they also got him on elder abuse because as soon as he was locked up, the parents told the police all about the abuse. They said, oh, fuck it, he's in jail. Yeah, he was a dick and he did this and he threw me out a window and blah, blah, blah. So good old dog boy died in jail in 1988 of a drug overdose. But the story doesn't end there. The next owner had all kinds of paranormal activity in the house. All the lights would come on in the house all at once by themselves. People would walk by and see a huge man looking out of the window, even though there was only a woman that lived there at the time. She'd even told the neighbors one time pennies floated down from the stairwell from upstairs part of the house. She says the coin stopped and fell to the floor all at once right in front of her. It's cool, Stitch. The dog boy's dead. We're good. No, he's, he's gone. You can't hurt you. So the, the coin stopped and fell to the floor all at once right in front of her. They floated down the stairwell. Now, a World War I soldier was also seen in the house repeatedly through the windows. A couple moved in in 2003, and they said strange things would happen on a regular basis, like the toilet would flush on its own. One day, this guy was working on the house. He was on the phone with her. He heard a crash upstairs. She said she went and found out what had happened. He, they had previously stacked a large pile of two by fours on the two by fours on the floor, and when she reached the upstairs room, they said that the floor, the boards were all standing straight up and down on the floor. There is no way they said that those boards managed to stand up. They know they were laying flat. Next thing you know, they're standing up. One lady who was interested in buying the house brought her young daughter with her. The woman told her that the daughter was quote unquote sensitive. And while the woman was, uh, while the women were talking and walking through the house, the daughter stopped on the stairs and said she felt very sad. Another time, another prospective buyer saw a recliner in the home flip back on its own. Like someone was sitting there. It stayed stuck like that the whole time they were looking at the place. And another person that brought their dog with them to see the house said that the dog refused to go inside. A construction worker that's been working on the house said, hey, look, I'm a rational person. I don't believe in the paranormal, but since I've been working on that place, I feel very uncomfortable, like someone's watching me. He also claims to have seen spirits several times. He said, when I pulled up into the driveway of the house at night, I see a man looking down at me. He's dressed in a brown jacket and a bow tie like he's from another time period. Now, the extension of the house where... Um, Gerald Bettis basically lived and tortured animals, unfortunately. They said they see the ghost of Gerald Bettis from that extension of the house. And he says he's seen him looking at him many times. He was huge, weird looking cat with long brown hair, creepy eyes, 
big arms and big hands. He walked right in front of me and glared at me. Right after I saw him, he walked through the hall and disappeared. Sometimes I hear something slam or someone walking across the floor, but I can't see anything. They let me know that they're there. So, there you go. If the house ever comes back on the market, and you can get a house with a sad World War I soldier and also a pet torturing monster, that's the house for you. Shitty person, glad he's dead. Okay, let's move on to uh, Kansas and the legend of the devil's chair. So the urban legend is this. An old farmer in Alma refused to sell his land to the city. Now they were hoping to use that land to build a new cemetery. And they said he just, he wouldn't sell. He's like, nope, it's my land, I'm not selling. Now someone who apparently really wanted a new cemetery badly enough pushed him into his old well on his land. Now people noticed he was missing to, uh, when they went to investigate. They were like, hey, where the hell's that old farmer guy that didn't want to sell his land for a cemetery? They go to investigate and they smell him coming from the empty well on the property. The city went, oh, wow, that's an accident. Wow, that's a bummer. They boarded up the well and they built the cemetery. Boom, immediately built the cemetery. Now, the well is still there in the cemetery to this day, maybe. If you guys live in Kansas, you guys, someone that must listen to this live in Kansas, please go to this and tell me what the fuck this is. But here's the disconnect from the urban legend. They said if you go to the cemetery, so here's the part of the urban legend part. They say if you go to the cemetery and you sit on the chair over the well that doesn't exist, that I can find anyway, you will mysteriously disappear. Some people say that it's not a chair over the well, but the wood that they put over the well kind of looks like a throne. And if you sit there, you will mysteriously disappear. So the quote from the local historical society said, I've heard about the devil's chair, but just thought it was a silly story kids told each other to try and scare each other. Have not heard about the part of the farmer. I don't know if this has ever been posted in different places. I'm pretty sure it's just one of those made-up stories. I've never heard of anyone sitting in a chair and disappearing. All right. Trying to find out if any of this is true was a nightmare. I found a photo of the supposed spot, and it looks like a half-ass covered well, but I can't even verify that that well is there in Kansas. And if you Google devil's chair, you're going to see a ton of different random cemeteries, three or four different random cement chairs that are, quote, the actual devil's chair. And speaking of the actual devil's chair, Wikipedia has this list of the places the real devil's chair is. Alverston, Cumbria, England. The devil's chair in Alverston is an ambiguous chair that appears to have been carved into a small rocky terrain, which is used for climbing near the monument Hode in Alverston. Sometimes the rock wall itself is referred to as the devil's armchair, but there's supposedly a chair there. Or it's in Shropshire, Shropshire's Hill, England. The devil's chair is a large craggy outcrop at the summit of the Stiper Stones, a narrow north to south oriented ridge of the highest, grain, highest ground of the range whatever the hell that is. Or it's in Florida. It could be in Casadega, Florida, in a graveside bench in the cemetery that borders Casadega and Lake Helen. According to one local legend, an unopened can of beer left on the chair will be empty by morning. In some accounts, the can is opened, and in others, the beer is simply gone through the unopened top. 
the devil is sometimes said to appear to anyone so bold as to sit in the chair. Or, it's in Illinois, the haunted chair of Greenwood Cemetery, Decatur, Illinois. Or it's in Iowa, in Guthrie Center, Iowa. It's a cement cast chair in the Union Cemetery. Local legend claims that bad luck will follow anyone who sits in it. While the cemetery itself was established as a pirate a private burial ground in 1885, the legend of the chair is only documented for approximately 30 years. Or, it's in Missouri. It's uh, the officially named in the Highland Park Cemetery of Kirksville, Missouri. By, uh, it was placed in the cemetery by Charles Grassel and David Bears when David's wife died in 1911. A bunch of different urban legends around there. It's concrete. All right. Or, it's in New York at the Oakwood Cemetery in Syracuse, New York contains a child spe child-sized specimen. Okay. Or it's in Ohio, at the Fletcher Cemetery, Fletcher, Ohio. Or it's in Vermont. The empty chair in Hope Cemetery in Bar, Vermont is actually a sculpted gravestone rather than being tended as a seat. However, the usual legends, blah, blah, blah. Or it's in Italy. It's not exclusive to the United States. In Torcello, the throne of Attila, Attila yeah, sure, why not? was probably, in fact, a magistrate's seat. Local legend claims that a girl who sits in it will be married within a year. So, I don't know. I guess pick your favorite nearest devil's chair and enjoy. I, I, look, there's a lot of devil's chairs. The devil sits all over the place, apparently, and there's all kinds of stupid urban legends connected to said devil's chairs. All right. Let's move a, a bit closer to me for this next one to Turnball Canyon right here in California. It's a four mile in diameter hiking area just outside of Los Angeles that has a ton of paranormal activity connected to it. Let's go down just a few urban legends from this hiking trail. For just a hiking trail, it's got quite a few urban legends. The first one, the Native Americans called it Hotunkana, I don't know, which uh, supposedly means the dark place or supposedly means the place of the devil or supposedly means some combination of that said thing. And apparently it's when the Spanish moved into the surrounding areas, they would force them deeper into the canyon and into the dark place. They were told to convert to Christianity or forever be cursed to walk the land with the devil himself. Now, people say they can still see, feel, or hear the Native Americans still walk in the woods. And some people say they have the feeling that they're being hunted while they're hiking. Look, little side note, if you're going off for a nice scenic little hike and you immediately have the feeling that you're being hunted, turn around, go home. You don't need that shit. You don't need to be hunted while you're just trying to get, you know, your steps in. Alrighty, now number two of the urban legends of Turnball Canyon is even harder to corroborate. During the Great Depression, for some reason, cultists took over the woods and started sacrificing local children because that's what cultists do. So a man went looking for a boy only to find him hung upside down on a cross with men in dark robes in a circle around him. Then what happened? Don't know. None of the stories ever say. Apparently he made it out of there because he told the story or the kid did or one of the robe guys were like, oh, we got to tell this story, but dumb. Alrighty, now like most urban legends, Turnball gets a turn at the local insane asylum, which was built on this spot, but burnt down in the 40s, killing everybody trapped inside. You know, that old chestnut. So the urban legend says the teenagers find the burnt out insane asylum in the woods one night 
and they found the electroshock helmet in the rubble. When one of them put it on, he was electrocuted, even though there's no electricity. All right, I'm knocking this one out real quick. No, there was no insane asylum built in Turnball Canyon ever. No kids found the burnt out rubble. No kid put on an electroshock helmet and died. That's just bullshit. And sadly, it took me a while to confirm that there's no insane asylum there because so many people are spreading this one without a shred of evidence. There is not a scrap of evidence ever that an insane asylum was built onto a hiking trail in the 40s. That's just dumb. All right, but what if I was to tell you that weird shit has happened in Turnball Canyon. Like in 1952, when Flight 416 left New York and crashed into the hills of, yep, Turnball Canyon, killing everyone on board. A lot of people say this could explain the paranormal activity. Maybe. All I know is it's not some bullshit uh, insane asylum that burnt down. Now, there's also been attempted murders in Turnball Canyon and a lot of weird shady shit that happens in Turnball Canyon. But I have a feeling that if you really researched a lot of hiking trails, you're gonna find that uh, somewhere along a hiking trail, someone decided they wanted to murder the person that they were hiking with. Alrighty, let's stay in California, but let's go down to Ojai, California. To the Char Man. This is a quick one from 1948 about a father and son who were both caught in a house fire and horribly burnt. After the fire, the, the son became so mentally unstable that he killed his father. When the police found the son, he was so unrecognizably burnt that they didn't even realize that he was still alive. So the son gets up, he runs away before they're able to arrest him for the murder of his father. Here's the urban legend part. If you go to the woods around Ojai, you may still run into the char man. He attacks campers, sometimes pretends to be a hiker so he can attack the uh, hitchhiker so he can attack the uh, drivers when they pull over. But if you're in Ojai and you see a guy without a face, don't go up to him. Charman, not good. That's all I'm saying. All right, let's move on to Connecticut for a couple of urban legends. And the first one is the Wicked Witch of Monroe. A woman named Hannah Hovey, but has since become known as Hannah Crana, she lived on a hill over the town with her husband in the 19th century. Well, her husband fell off a cliff and everybody went, oh, Hannah did it, it's Hannah, she's a witch, Hannah Crana, and started calling her Hannah Crana for some unknown reason. There's a lot of theories, they're all dumb. But, so they thought she was this very powerful witch to cast spells on the townspeople she didn't like also, so Anna's getting older and older and she starts worrying about her death. So she goes to town and she starts telling people or asking people when she dies, she wants her coffin to be carried down the hill, not put on a cart and rolled down the hill. So sadly, Hannah Crana passes away at age 77 and the dumb townspeople are dumb. They don't listen to her. They know she's a witch or they think she's a witch. They don't listen to her. So the dumb townspeople put her coffin on a cart and start rolling it down the hill. The one thing she told them not to do, the cart or the coffin falls off the cart. So they put it back on and it happens again. They roll a little farther, 
happens again. Roll a little farther, happens again. And then they go, huh, yeah, Hannah said that, uh, you know, she's going to curse us all. And if she wants the curse to, if we want the curse to stop, we have to carry her down the hill. So maybe we should just carry her down the hill. So they get all freaked out. They carry her coffin down the rest of the way. And after the funeral, they return to her house only to find it engulfed in flames. So is any of this one real? Well, Hannah sure is. If you can see her tombstone to this day in Gregory's Four Corner Burial Ground right there in Connecticut. And the tombstone does say Hannah Crana and that she was married to that guy. And it does seem like her house on the hill was burnt down. Seems like all the steps to this story are real. Now, is she a witch? Uh, I don't know. Um, maybe. All I know is that if that was her dying wish, I thought she's a witch, and that was her dying wish, I would have made sure I just carried her down the hill. It can't be that bad. Come on, guys. All right, let's stay in Connecticut. Let's go over to Dudley Town. To the woods around Dudley Town. Now, again, we have dark woods, possibly haunted by Native Americans, or devil worshippers, or orbs, or wolf-like creatures, or shadow people, or disembodied voices, or mass suicides, or demonic possessions, and more. What more, you might be asking? Well, how about this? A mysterious group called the Dark Forest Association that polices the Dudley Town woods with militant force. Dun, dun, dun. Or is Dudley Town just a small private community that's sick of the dumb urban legends, so they hired their own private security to keep people from causing trouble there? You decide. But it's the latter. It really is just a small private community that's sick of the dumb urban legends, so they hired their own private security to keep people from causing trouble there. But I haven't even gotten to the rest of the urban legend. There's two of them, actually. Either. Anyone who steals anything from Dudley Town will have a curse put on them and their family. Or, anyone who tries to live in Dudley Town has a curse put on them and they have a terrible misfortune for the rest of their lives. Now, the Warrens actually did a Halloween special from Dudley Town in the early 1970s where they declared it officially, quote, demonically possessed. Now, I took a look for houses available because I wanted to see if that part of the thing was true, that there's, you know, can I live in Dudley Town? Well, first of all, Dudley Town is nice. Second, people don't seem to have a problem living there because almost all the houses are lived in and lived in for decades. So I'm going to say that there's no curse on them and they have terrible misfortune, unless the terrible misfortune is they have to live in a place called Dudley Town and a bunch of jackasses keep coming in expecting a curse. But... I could only find one house to buy in Dudley Town. For only $199,900 American dollars, you could live in Dudley Town with the Dark Forest Association. Look, there's worse places to live than Dudley Town. That's all I'm saying. All right, let's move over to Arizona and the story of Slaughterhouse Canyon, or as it's really known, Luana's Canyon. This is a quick one. During the gold rush, uh, during the 1800s, there was a family who lived down in the canyon. They were very poor. The father would go out into the canyon for food. And as you might have guessed, one day he didn't return. We don't know what happened to him. But his family slowly starved and descended into madness. The mother, who couldn't handle hearing her kids crying, says, I'm going to put on my wedding. I'm going to put on my wedding. I'm going to put on my wedding dress and I'm going to murder my kids. So that's what she does. She puts on her wedding dress, murders all her kids threw him into a nearby river, and the next day she died of starvation herself. 
Seems very convenient, but it's an urban legend. So, the urban legend says that if you go down a slaughterhouse canyon at night, you will still hear her crying for her children. Does it sound like she's wearing a wedding dress? You tell me. Someone go there, listen for the cries, ask like, hey, you wearing a wedding dress? And see what she says. Alrighty, let's go over to Texas for the candy lady. In an unnamed rural town in Texas, so boom, huge flag already, because Texas isn't big enough, you can't pick a fucking town in Texas. In an unnamed rural town in Texas, back in the 1900s, children started going missing. Now, for some reason, the townspeople blamed it on the candy lady. Why? Who knows? But the lame story goes that the candy lady would leave candy on the children's windowsills, and with that candy, she would leave a note saying, if you want more candy, follow me out into the sticks. So, few kids go missing. Then a local farmer found a rotten human tooth on his uh, farm, and then found the body of a boy with his pockets stuffed with candy. That's the urban legend part. Shockingly, this one, too, has a kernel of truth to it. The candy lady seems to be real, and her name was Clara Crane. Clara Crane... Hi, Stitch. Go get it. Clara Crane was born in Texas in 1871. She was married to an older man, and they had one child named Marcella. In 1893, her daughter was killed in a farming accident. It was noted that her husband, Leonard, had been drinking before the incident. Oh, sorry, Stitch. Go ahead. Oh, God. So, Clara's devastated. Her daughter's killed. Mar Marcella's been killed. It's probably the father's fault. Clara gets all kinds of despondent. In 1895, it's reported that Clara killed her husband, Leonard, with poisoned candy. You know, because he killed her daughter. So she's tried, she's convicted of murder, she pleads insanity. She's placed in North Texas Lunatic Asylum. I didn't look up if that's real place or not, but all of this seems to be legit. Then in 1896, the doctors noted that the staff found a doll Clara made from torn bed sheets in her room. And uh, apparently she would sing and, you know, talk to this doll all the time. So they went, oh, she's just despondent because her daughter was killed by her husband and she killed her husband. So all said and good, let's release her. So she gets released. She goes to this small, unnamed rural town in Texas in 1903. And guess what? Children went missing in 1903 in small towns in Texas. Was it her? No idea. But that's the kernel of truth that leads up to the candy lady. Alrighty, let's go on over to what time? How much time are we going? All right, we're still fine. Let's head on over to Pennsylvania to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. There's an urban legend about a bus that has no end destination. The legend says the bus only picks up passengers that are at their lowest moments of their lives. They're so despondent, they don't know what to do with their lives. Once the passenger is ready to face the world, they can get off the bus, but not before then. Now get this. When the passenger does figure their shit out and say, Oh, you know what? I think I am okay to, you know, work in some boring nine to five job for, you know, pennies on the dollar. Um, I'm cool. You can let me off the bus. As soon as they get off the bus, they have no idea how long they've been on the bus. Was it hours, days, or even years? So it's basically like a normal bus ride. I can't prove any of that one. I don't know how I possibly could. There's nobody that's ever, you know, posted online. 
hey, I went on this bus in Philadelphia and I was ended up being trapped there for 30 years because I really didn't want to know, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Then I decided I was going to go back to college and boom, I was allowed, you know, allowed to get off the bus. How the fuck am I supposed to prove this? I can't do everything. Come on, guys, go find that bus. Tell me how long you've been on the bus. All right, let's stick in uh, Pennsylvania for one other one. It's a very, very quick one. It's a killer named Charlie No-Face. Charlie No-Face was a killer that walked the streets at night looking for his next victims. And in case you couldn't guess it, he has no face. Now, sadly, this one might sort of be true, too, because a man in the area suffered a horrible accident and lost most of his face. The real reason they say he walked at night was to avoid people staring at him. So what did they do instead? They made him into an urban legend called Charlie No-Face. That ain't cool. Come on, guys. Don't Charlie No-Face somebody. That's not cool. All right, here's a quick one from Michigan. Again, it's called the Knock Knock Road. Did I do one in Michigan? I don't know if I had. Well, whatever. Here's a quick one from Michigan. It's called the Knock Knock Road. The legend says there was a little girl who was murdered on Knock Knock Road in the Detroit area, and now she appears to drivers at their car window, knocking, trying to find the person who killed her. Or was it a man that was taking a babysitter home one night, and he tried to make a pass at the babysitter, and after she refused, the man kicked her out of the car. Her dress got caught in the car door, and she was dragged to her death. Now you can hear her knocking on the outside of your car. Or, is it a guy and a girl were parked making out, and the woman said she didn't want to go all the way, so he kicks her out of the car, her hair gets caught in the door, he drives away, she's knocking on the door until she's dragged dead. While I can't confirm if any of that happened, I do think I found the road. Most reports about this urban legend seem to be on Strasburg Road in Gross Isle. I can't find any proof of the rest of it, thankfully. I don't want to find any of these horrific stories, but that seems to be Knock Knock Road. So if you're in Gross Isle in Detroit, uh, or just outside Detroit, listen for someone knocking on your door and see if it's their hair stuck in it, or if it's their dress, or if it's just a little girl finding who wants to find who killed her, whatever. Tell me, you know, tell me what you find. Now, knocking on cars is pretty common, so here's another one. This one uh, comes from Oregon. And this one's called The Legend of the Bandage Man of Cannon Beach, which is kind of a wordy title. He's rumored to be the ghost of a jogger, of a logger, not a jogger, of a logger who died in a sawmill accident and now terrorizes teenagers who hang out in the deserted area of highway near Cannon Beach. Stories say that he knocks on car windows to try and get in and smells really bad, apparently. I don't know why they gotta add that. You know, he's already a dead ghost logger. You don't have to say, and he stinks, too. That's not cool. All right, let's move on to Colorado. Riverdale Road in Thornton, to be exact. That's where a ghostly runner attacks parked cars. But Riverdale Road also has demons, a phantom Camaro that appears and disappears and revs its engine. The Gates of Hell, which was on the land of a mansion where a madman burned his wife and kids alive. And a ghost in white is also seen on the road. Ghost slaves are seen on the road. Demon dogs are seen on the road. All right, basically, avoid Riverdale Road in Colorado at all costs. I don't care if Waze tells you to take it because it's going to cut 10 minutes off your drive. Don't Just don't go down there. Look, I don't know if any of that shit's true, but, you know, why are you going to risk that one? Come on. All right, let's move on to Delaware. They have an odd one. He's called Mr. Chew, 
who was a chief justice back in the colonial days, and he got mad when everyone in the town made fun of his name by fake sneezing all the time. Mr. Achu. That pissed him off. It's a lame joke, but it pissed him off so much that his ghost still stalks those who fake sneeze in the Delaware town. Apparently, you know, you'll walk by and you'll read his name somewhere and then someone will go, oh, Mr. Chu, ah, Chu. Well, the legend says he'll show up in his robes and powdered wig to scare the hell out of anyone who makes fun of his name. That dude's holding a grudge because it's not even that good of a joke. Like I said, it's a lame joke. Come on, guys. You can do better than Mr. Chu. All right, let's keep moving on to the Phantom Jogger of Canyon Hills. That's right, another jogger. Look, ghosts, you're dead. You don't have to keep jogging. And if jogging turns you into an urban legend, then that's another reason not to start jogging, everyone. If, if you take nothing from this episode, take this away. Don't, don't start jogging. You're going to end up an urban legend and a lame one at that. All right. So, um, let's see the phantom jogger of Canyon Hills, uh, takes some, uh, oh yeah, this one takes some work. All right. First you have to go to the Canyon Hill cemetery at night and park between two specific trees, which trees don't know. It doesn't say anywhere, but you go to Canyon Hill you park between these two specific trees, and if you do it right, a legless jogger ghost woman will appear and knock on your window and then jog away without legs. Is it still considered jogging if you don't have legs? Someone get back to me on that one too. Um, Yeah, that's lame. That's a lame one. All right, let's continue on to the complete debunk land of things in Chicago. There was an urban legend in the 1990s going around elementary schools that there was a creepy man dressed as Homie the Clown. Look, kids, if you don't know what Homie the Clown is, go to YouTube, type in Homie the Clown. It's from In Living Color. It's not that good of a bit. Uh, I think it's like Damon Wayans or something. It doesn't matter. But there's supposedly a guy dressed as Homie the Clown in the 90s in Chicago driving around in a white van trying to lure kids into it with candy or money, but not both. Candy or money, you have to choose. So apparently he drove up, dressed as Homie the Clown, opens the door, says, hey, you want candy or money? And if the kid said, like, I want both, nope, sorry, gotta choose one, and he drives away. Now, in some variations, he's a kidnapper. Others, he's just a rapist. But there is no kernel of truth. Well, I mean, there was a Homie the Clown on Living Color, but he didn't do any of this shit. There is no kernel of truth that there was anybody dressed as a clown trying to rape or murder kids in Chicago in the 90s. But how about this one? Maybe this one's real. Let's move to New York to Cropsey. Now, this is the story of a man who stalked a sleepaway camp or mental institution in the woods. Again, they don't build insane asylums in the woods. I mean, I guess there probably are some, but for the most part, they're not just in the middle of the woods. But all right, there's a sleepaway camp or a mental institution, or a children's hospital, and this guy named Cropsey, who had a hook for a hand, would kill children who were, for some reason, wandering around alone at night in those woods at either a sleepaway camp, which that one makes more sense, or a mental institution, or they broke out of a children's hospital. Seems dumb, right? But there is a kernel of truth to this one. There was a documentary that came out and actually had a lot of proof 
that said that Cropsey was actually real. He was a convicted child kidnapper named Andre Rand. Did he have a hook for a hand? No, he didn't. Alrighty, let's move on to Maine to the mysterious stain on Colonel Jonathan Buck's tomb. The tomb of Colonel Jonathan Buck in Bucksport bears a mysterious leg-shaped stain. Alright, so the story is that Buck sentenced some woman to burn for witchcraft. While she was burning, her leg rolled out of the fire, which is the worst because it's, you know, it's too hot to pick it back up and throw it back on the fire. But you also can't just let a leg sit there and smolder in front of you. You definitely can't make s'mores on it. You know, there's just nothing really good about a leg rolling out of a fire. So, on his tomb is a leg-shaped stain. And it's said that people have tried to get rid of this stain twice, but the stain keeps reappearing. And that is the urban legend about the mysterious stain on Colonel Jonathan Buck's tomb. Alrighty, let's move on over to Rhode Island. There's a rock on Devil's Foot Road that shows a normal human footprint and a cloven hoof print. The urban legend says that a Native American woman murdered a white man and fled the scene of the crime, because of course she did. While running, she was stopped by another man. So, what does she do? She's, does she cry out for like God to save her from these evil white people? No, she cries out for the devil. And the man that stopped her said, oh, no, no, that's me, I I'm the devil and then stomped his foot on the ground to prove that he had a cloven hoof, which the rock on Devil's Foot Road still shows to this day. Huh, all right, whatever. Let's move on to New Mexico. La Mala Hora, which translates probably horribly, because I probably didn't say it right, to the evil hour. The urban legend says it appears as a ball of black energy constantly moving and changing its size and the shape and if you look at it it will drive you insane drive you insane it'll drive you insane or will slowly kill you or it looks like a scary looking woman and if you look at her at the crossroads you or someone in your family will die that's it where in the crossroads where in new mexico no idea Alrighty, next up in South Dakota, Walking Sam and the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. So, uh, Walking Sam stands over seven feet tall and is very slim, but he is not Slender Man. That's another urban legend, okay? So, Walking Sam is said to appear on the streets of the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation at night, and he tries to convince teenagers to take their own lives. But, to be honest, he must not be very good at it, because if he was then those teens would be dead and we'd never hear the tale of Walking Sam. Now, unfortunately, there is a sad kernel of truth to this one, and that is this. Sites are saying that from December 2014 to May 2015, there were 103 suicide attempts at Pine Ridge, where this urban legend takes place. That is the kernel of truth, the sad kernel of truth to this one. So let's keep on keeping on. This one's a bit of a different one. It comes from Mississippi, and it's called Mercritus. Now, the story goes that a mysterious disease all but wiped out a rural Mississippi town, and that the government and town officials covered it up. Here comes the crazy. So, the disease is this. If a man ingests too much lead in town, he would secrete a smell that would cause a hormonal change in women nearby, causing them to become homicidal killers. I like that. 
You put that in a movie, I'll watch that freaking movie all day long. Alrighty, let's move on over to Nebraska. You okay, pal? Hold on one second, I'm almost done. Let's move on over to Nebraska. I think this is the most recent urban legend on this list. This one says this, because of the Fukushima meltdown, either wind, rain, or water brought a change to Nebraska hornets. They have grown to four times their normal size and have multiplied. Now, again, I must have a listener from Nebraska. There's got to be someone listening to this right now that lives in Nebraska. Please let me know if since the Fukushima meltdown, you've noticed that the uh, hornets have grown to four times their normal size and have multiplied. Is that where these murder hornets are coming from? Is that what's going on here? I just thought of that. Fucking murder hornets, man. All right, have you guys heard of any of these? Did you recognize one from your own home state? What urban legends do you have? That's right. I want to hear your local urban legends. Send them to me on Facebook or email them to me at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. I love urban legends. They're dumb. Most of them are stupid. And again, trying to debunk them, trying to do my job and actually debunk some of these was a pain in the ass. I thought it would be real easy. I thought it'd be like so obviously, nope, that's not real. Every time I was like, well, that can't be, there can't be a kernel of truth to that one. Oh, there's a kernel of truth to that one. Holy shit. Urban legends, man, they, they throw you for a loop. I love them. So again, I want to hear your local urban legends. Send them to me on Facebook, email them to me at paranormalmanac at gmail.com or, or even better, wait for one of my live shows, call into the live show and tell me your urban legend. I would love to hear them from you. Not just me repeating your stories. I want to hear them from you guys. Alrighty, with that, let's do the shout-outs. As you guys know, in on the month of October, I'm going to do shout-outs at the end of the episode. So that's right, we have shout-outs going out to Damien and Daniel, Jasmine, Ian, Eric, Brandon, Jen, Alexandra, Eek, George, Connie, Christine, Jason, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Adam, Ashley, Krista, Eerie the Cat, Fran, David and Sean, what's that? Ian, Lorelai, Carrie, Ezram, Robin, Will, Carrie, Jim, Kelly, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Bill, Russell, uh, Russell, Tanya, Chris, Brandon, I, April, Seth, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, uh, Dorian and Isaac, hey, howdy, hi, you guys, uh, Cindy, Bob, Sean, Bishop, Cole, ah, monsters, Paula, Alicia, Jerry, Leo, Austin, Rachel, Lindsay, Hahn, Jennifer, Megan, Aaron, Amy, Jeff, T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Josh, Shelly, Lauren McCune. Hey, howdy, hi. You just messaged me. Lily, Veronica, Nick, Autumn, J-Mark, Amber, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Megan, Heidi, Kira, Pablo, Chuck, Laura, Rutho, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Juliana, Dan, Laura, Gamer Fan, Lauren, and David. And as always, a special shout out to Joe Teague. Okay that out of the way. For all you people that continued to listen, let's do a few international urban legends for this episode. First up, Russia, man, it has its fair share of urban legends, like a mysterious man who hunts people, kidnaps them, kills them, taxidermies them, and then puts them on display in his house. It's kind of like a Norman Bates turned into an urban legend, but this one might be true. Because in 2011, Nizhny Novgorod, sure. Uh, Nizhny Novgorod resident Anatoly Moskvin, Moskvin, Moskvin 
was arrested and convicted of grave robbing. He exhumed the bodies of 29 girls and young women, which he brought home to his flat where, surprise, he stuffed them, dressed them up, and placed them around his home. What's worse is that he didn't live alone. He shared his flat with his parents who told the police they thought the corpses were large dolls. That doesn't make it any better. If he's got 29 large dolls of young women, your kid's fucked up. Alrighty. Next in Russia. It's kind of a lame one, but there's actually two quick ones about the, Mus the Moscow metro system. One says that the circle line was an accident when Stalin put his coffee cup on the mass transit system plans. The cup stained. The engineer said, oh, circle line. Alright, let's add that. That's lame. But... The metro supposedly has giant radioactive rats that live down there and keep getting bigger and bigger. And then finally, in the Russia-Moscow metro system's urban legends, is that there is the Metro System 2. The Metro 2, which is a secret government-only metro. Only the government are allowed to do that. It connects the Kremlin to the KGB to Moscow State University to the government airport and to towns outside of Moscow. There are a lot of people that think that this is real. And you know what? I believe it. Why wouldn't they have? I mean, that seems like a Russian thing to have. So I'm going to go on record and say that one's probably true without even looking into it. Because I didn't want to look too deep into a bunch of weird Russian urban legends. But let's move on to South Africa. South Africa has an urban legend called Pinky Pinky. Pinky Pinky is a demon with shocking pink hair who would target young women just trying to go to the bathroom. So according to the South African newspaper, Pinky Pinky particularly does not like girls who wear pink underwear and has been known to attack, rape, or even murder them. Don't worry, guys. Pinky Pinky only appears to girls. All I gotta say is don't wear pink underwear then. What the fuck? Uh, and finally, let's go to Tokyo. So... Tokyo, very busy. People are wearing surgical masks. Even prior to COVID-19, they're wearing these surgical masks. Here's the urban legend. A woman catches your eye. You're out in the busy street. This woman catches your eye. She walks up. She has straight black hair. She's got a bizarre quality to her voice. She approaches you and whispers, Watashi Kiri, which I probably said wrong, but means, am I beautiful? Here's the thing. If you say yes, she'll remove her mask to reveal a smile stretching from ear to ear because there's jagged slashes running through her face, basically making a giant Joker-like smile. She asked the same question, though. Am I beautiful? Now, if you answer no this time after you see her face, if you're like, ah, no, you're not beautiful, well, that's instant death. Can't say no to her, but if you answer yes... The second time, she whips out a either razor blade or shears, depending on where you get your story, and she cuts you just like her, till your face looks just like her. She's called the Slit Mouth Woman, or the Kuchisaki Ona, which I'm sure I said wrong. And um, she apparently roams the city, still yearning to find someone who thinks she's beautiful, just like her. Alrighty, that about does it for this, this edition of Urban Legends, but fear not. There are a ton more. I don't even know how long this, how long is this episode? How long, how long have I been going here? 
Oh yeah, no, it's a normal episode. Um, <clears throat> maybe a little bit longer than usual, but fear not. There are a ton more urban legends. I didn't want to use them all up. I don't think I could if I really tried, though. That'd be like a 10-hour episode, but here's the first or second or how many ever urban legend episodes I've done, but here is this edition of Urban Legends, and it's scary how many of them had kernels of truth to them. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Here he's just the show, no, we say it again.